ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So carrying on then with Kashf al-Shubuhat. The last section that we covered last week, فَبَعَثَ اللَّهُ مُحَمَّدًا صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يُجَدِّدُ لَهُمْ دِينَ أَبِيهِمْ إِبْرَاهِيمَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ وَيُخْبِرُهُمْ أَنَّ هَذَا التَّقَرُّبَ وَالْإِعْتِقَادَ In fact, Maybe just slightly before that. وَآخِرُ الرُّسُلِ مُحَمَّدٌ صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو الذي كسر صور هؤلاء الصالحين أرسله الله إلى أناس يتعبدون ويحجون ويتصدقون ويذكرون الله كثيرا ولكنهم يجعلون بعض المخلوقات وسائط بينهم وبين الله This is what we had mentioned last time. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to a people who used to worship and they used to do hajj and they used to give in charity and they used to remember Allah a lot. However, they used to make intermediaries between themselves and Allah. They would take intercessors between themselves and Allah. Yaqulun, and they would say, Nuridu minhum at-taqarruba ila Allah, wa nuridu shafa'atahum inda. And they would say, that we want from them to bring us closer to Allah. That these intermediaries they were taking, these middlemen that they were calling upon between themselves and Allah, they were saying, we're only doing so in order for them to gain closeness to Allah for us. For us to gain closeness to Allah via them, so we only want their intercession, that we only want for them to intercede for us. And what is the meaning of intercession? Because that is something we're going to discuss a lot during this book. What is the meaning of shafa'ah? What is the meaning of intercession? Anyone? Who can define a shafa'ah and what the basic meaning of shafa'ah is? The basic meaning of intercession is even beginning linguistically. Anyone? So nobody knows what shafa'ah is? Basically. That you can say shafa'ah, it is from ash-shafa', which means even. 
like you have odd and even. The word shafa'ah comes from the word of even, something being even. And how do you make something even? You have number one, and that is a odd number. How are you going to make it into an even number? Add another one. You're going to add another one to make it even. And so that's where the word shafa'ah comes from. Linguistically, to make something even. And by and how you do that is by attaching two together and it becomes even. So shafa'ah is that a person attaches another to himself and that other one is going to speak on his behalf. That I seek your intercession with such and such, that I seek for you to be a second half of me and go and speak to someone on my behalf. So I've made myself one individual, an odd number. I've made myself into an even number by having somebody else join along with me. And that person is going to go and speak on my behalf for me. That's the basics of shafa'ah. I am one person, I am an odd number. I then get somebody else, join him with me. We are now an even number. And the purpose of me joining this other person is that he is going to be the intermediary. He's gonna go and speak on my behalf to somebody else. So that's what shafa'a is linguistically. Here, what the mushrikun used to do is exactly that. They would attach or use as the intermediary what? All of the idols, all of their idols and their statues and the different types that they had, they would utilize all of them as the second half, as the intermediary who then speaks on their behalf or takes their affair on their behalf as they claimed to... To who? Allah. To Allah. They would say, we're only going to the idols, we're only going to these statues, the dead people, the graves, the prophets, the angels, because they are going to go on our behalf to Allah. And they will take our dua and our supplication to Allah. And so they, by going to Allah, are going to make us or gain for us a greater closeness to Allah. Them taking our supplications, taking our du'as, taking our whatever it might be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a means of us becoming closer and gaining closeness to Allah. Just like linguistically now we say that such and such a person, I don't know him very well. Maybe there is a person that I don't know very well, but he knows him. So I say to him, you go and speak on my behalf 
and put a word in for me. So by him doing that, now that person has had someone that he trusts, go and tell him and put a word in for me. That puts me into a stronger position with that person. And that's intercession. That is the intermediary type of concept. And that's what the mushrikun used to claim. That we are distanced from Allah. And these idols and intermediaries and intercessors will go on our behalves and gain closeness for us with Allah. So that is what they used to say. يَقُولُونَ نُرِيدُ مِنْهُمَ التَّقَرُّبَ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَنُرِيدُ شَفَاعَتَهُمْ عِنْدَهِ مِثْلُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ وَعِيسَى وَمَرْيَمْ وَأُنَاسِ غَيْرُهُمْ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ so they would say, we want closeness to Allah and we just want their intercession. Like the angels, they would take the angels as intermediaries and intercessors. And they would take Isa as many of them did as an intermediary to call upon. And the mother of Isa وَأُنَاسٍ غَيْرِهِمْ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ And other people besides them from the righteous. And that is something well known about the mushrikun. Many of their idols and statues, they were not just cement idols and statues as you think of them these days. Some of their idols as we call them, were the graves of actual righteous people. They were actually righteous people. One example some of them give is Allat. Allat. They say if it is upon the understanding of Allat, was a man who used to help the Hujjaj. A man who used to help the Hujjaj. In some narrations they say he would bring for them plates of food. In other narrations that he would cut the siwak for them and give it out. That he would be in the service of the hujjaj, a righteous man. And when he died, then his grave, that became a shrine for them. And that became the idol that they then worshipped. Allah. And there are examples of many other righteous people. And that's going to be one of the points we're going to get to later on. The doubt that the mushrikun, they used to worship idols, like you imagine idols and statues these days of the Buddhists, and the Sikhs and the Hindus and their likes, that they used to worship these idols and statues like that. We, or the people these days, they say they don't do that. They go to the graves of the awliya. But the reality is even the mushrikun at that time, many of their idols were the graves of the Awliya. So then he mentions here, فَبَعَثَ اللَّهُ مُحَمَّدًا صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يُجَدِّدُ لَهُمْ دِينَ أَبِيهِمْ إِبْرَاهِيمَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ وَيُخْبِرُهُمْ أَنَّ هَذَا التَّقَرُّبَ وَالْإِعْتِقَادَ مَحْضُ حَقِّ اللَّهِ So when this was the state of the mushrikun, that they were upon worship, and they were 
upon Hajj and charity and other affairs. But despite them being upon those acts of worship, they were also committing shirk alongside it all. And they were calling upon other deities besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the claim that these others are only going to bring us closer to Allah. So it's justified. That's what they would say. But the reality is, of course, it is shirk. So they were upon this shirk that was widespread amongst them. And that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the final messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to revive for them the religion of their forefather Ibrahim alayhi salam. And why is the example always given of Ibrahim alayhi salam? Because the scholars have mentioned in reality he is actually Abul Anbiya, that all of the other prophets and messengers came from that line from the lineage onwards of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And he's mentioned in the Quran, Ibrahim alayhi salam, that he was an ummah, meaning someone to be followed, a qudwah, an example to follow in the footsteps of, that he was upon al-Hanifiyyah, the religion of Tawheed, and all of those details many of you will have come across already, in the smaller book to this Al-Qawa'id Al-Arba' For the one who has studied Al-Qawa'id Al-Arba' Then it will significantly help you in the study of this book So the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Was sent to them At a time when they were upon that misguidance in order to revive for them the religion of Ibrahim alayhi salam and to clarify to them, to explain to them and tell them that this seeking of closeness, then it is something purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you do not do that by seeking closeness to others first by seeking closeness to these intermediaries to get you to Allah. Rather that is purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's amazing that these same arguments are the exact same arguments people use to this day. I remember approximately 20 years ago here at the University of Manchester, that there used to be a student, a Sufi, and he would say to me that yes, we go to the grave of the great Mawlana, the great Imam who passed away 50 years ago, he was our great Imam before, we go to his grave, but it's not shirk, it's because, and this is what he would say, it's because we, you and me, we're sinners. And this was when we were 18, 19 years old at the university in those days. We are sinners, he would say. We are sinners. And how can we call upon Allah and get our dua answered? How can we call upon Allah and get our dua answered? We are sinners. We need to go 
to these righteous people and ask them to take our dua to Allah. Because when the dua goes to Allah via these righteous people on our behalf, then there's more chance of it being answered. But us, the level of sin you and me are upon, how can we call upon Allah and get our dua answered? We need to ask these righteous awliya of Allah to take our dua to Allah on our behalf. And by going through them, that's what puts us in a better position with Allah. That's exactly what he would say. This is exactly the belief that exists here around the corner from you. In places all over the world. So here that is the belief that existed and came from the time of the mushrikun, saying that we are only calling upon these dead in the graves. We're not worshipping them. We're just asking them to take our dua to Allah so we can get closer to Allah. What's wrong with that? We want to get closer to Allah. These are righteous people who will help us to do that. Surely that's a good objective. And the reality is, it is a shirk method. And the mushrikun were upon that same method. So the Prophet ﷺ was sent to clarify to them, لا يصلح منه شيء لغير الله That none of this worship is appropriate or correct for anyone besides Allah. لا لملك مقرب ولا نبي مرسل فضلا عن غيرهما Neither to an angel brought close nor to a prophet who has been sent let alone anyone else besides them. And that we mentioned last time, the scholars often give that example of the angels and the prophets, because if you cannot call upon angels and prophets, that's not allowed, then certainly anyone else besides them is not allowed. Because anyone else besides them, no matter how much they are, from the awliya of Allah maybe, they are not going to be at the level of the prophets and messengers. So if you cannot call upon prophets and messengers, you cannot call upon angels, then certainly you cannot call upon these so-called awliya in their graves. The word muqiruna in that sentence is inaccurate. If you have muqiruna in that sentence, it is inaccurate upon the most accurate checking of the book. So it should read, وَإِلَّا فَهَؤُلَاءِ الْمُشْرِكُونَ يَشْهَدُونَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ الْخَالِقُ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ This is a very basic and important point to remember. A very basic, important concept to remember from the basic concepts of Tawheed. That the mushrikun, the kuffar, the ones who the Prophet ﷺ fought against in those battles at that time, those kuffar, those mushrikun, they used to testify that Allah is the Creator. They used to testify that Allah is the Creator, Him alone without any partners. And they used to testify 
that nobody provides for us and sustains us except Allah. وَلَا يُحْيِي وَيُمِيتْ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَلَا يُحْيِي وَلَا يُمِيتُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And they would testify that no one gives death or life, no one brings to life or gives death except Allah. وَلَا يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرَ إِلَّاهُ And that nobody disposes of the affairs, nobody controls everything other than Allah. وَأَنَّ جَمِيعَ السَّمَاوَاتِ السَّبْعِ وَمَنْ فِيهِنَّ And that all of the seven heavens and everyone within them وَالْأَرَضِينَ السَّبْعِ وَمَنْ فِيهِنَّ And the seven earths and everyone within them كُلُّهُمْ عَبِيدُهُ All of them are his servants تَحْتَ تَصَرُّفِهِ وَقَهْرِهِ And they are all under the control, under the, the control and the power and the, the disposal of affairs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of that, the kuffar, the mushrikun, testify to. So then the question is, if they testify to all of that, then why are they still deemed as kuffar and their blood permissible and the Prophet ﷺ fought against them? Because tawheed is not restricted to just those things. Tawheed is not only and restricted to believing that Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the one who gives life and death and controls everything. You believe in all of that? It's only one part of Tawheed. All of that is only one aspect of Tawheed. And all of that, if you accept it, does not enter you into Islam alone. You can say that you testify Allah is the creator, Allah is the provider, Allah is the sustainer, Allah is the one who gives life and death and controls the affairs as they did. Yet they did not enter into Islam with that because it requires a further, a further amount in Tawheed. And that further amount is that you then single out your worship to Allah alone. Because a person could say, Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the one who gives life and death and everything. But then at the same time, go and worship idols. So now is that person a Muslim or a mushrik? He's a mushrik. Even though he proclaims all of these things, so the kuffar used to say all of this. They believed and they acknowledged all of this. Allah is the creator, Allah is the provider, Allah is the one who controls everything, Allah is the one who gives life and death. And yet they were still mushrikun because they did not single out their worship to Allah alone, even though they believed in all of these things. And that's why this basic concept of tawheed is one of the fundamentals to understand. 
Tawheed is not restricted to Ar-Rububiyyah. It is not defined by Ar-Rububiyyah. If somebody asks you, explain Tawheed, what does it mean to be upon Tawheed? You do not say that Tawheed is to believe Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the one who gives life and death, Allah is the one who controls the universe. That is a deficient answer. Even though that is the answer that many of the people of misguidance will give you today. If you go to the Jama'at al-Tabligh and many of their likes, ask them what is Tawheed? For them, the answer is just that. Tawheed? Tawheed is that you believe Allah created you alone and that Allah is the one who sustains you and provides for you and Allah is the one who controls the universe and Allah is the one who gives life and death. That's Tawheed, brother. That's how they will explain it to you. And the reality is that is a significantly deficient explanation. That's why when you see La ilaha illallah and the translation with it, there is no God but Allah. That is a significantly deficient translation. The meaning of La ilaha illallah is not just there is no God but Allah, there is no Rabb except Allah, meaning there is no one other than Allah who creates and provides and sustains. That's all true, but it's deficient. La ilaha illallah is more than that. It is that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. So here, this point that Ar-Rububiyyah is only an aspect of Tawheed. It is not the completeness of Tawheed. That is a basic fundamental to understand. So that a Muslim knows being a Muslim and being upon Tawheed is not just saying, yes, I believe Allah created me. Yes, I believe Allah is the one who provides and sustains and gives life and death. And a person thinks that's it. That's what it means to be a Muslim. That is not enough. It requires that you then single out Allah with your worship as well. And such is the importance of these basic principles and understandings. In the other book of the Shaykh, Al-Qawa'id Al-Arba' The four fundamental principles, a very small book, barely a couple of pages long. One of the principles, principle number one, is exactly this point. So that a Muslim understands, Tawheed is more than just explaining a rububiyyah. When we did the master's exam, the master's, to get onto the Aqidah masters in the University of Medina. One of the questions on the master's paper was regarding this point. The explanation of Tawheed and Ar-Rububiyyah, and is that sufficient? And why did Allah talk about Ar-Rububiyyah in the Quran? Because it's one of the fundamental points. If a person doesn't understand that, then they will not understand why the Mushrikun was still declared as mushrikun and why they were still fought against. So here the Shaykh says, those mushrikun, they accepted all of these things. They accepted Allah is the creator alone with no partners and that Allah is the one who provides no one else besides him. 
Allah is the one who gives life and death. Nobody besides Him. Allah is the one who uh, disposes of all of the affairs. No one besides Him. And that all of the heavens and the earth, the seven heavens, the seven earths, and everyone within them, all of them are the servants of Allah under the command and control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They believed in all of that. Yet, they were not Muslims. فَإِذَا أَرَدْتَ الدَّلِيلَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ هَؤُلَاءِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ الَّذِينَ قَاتَلَهُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم يَشْهَدُونَ بِهَذَا And then the Shaykh says, If you want the evidence then, that the Mushrikun, they acknowledged all of these things. The very same Mushrikun, who the Prophet ﷺ fought against in the battles, Badr and Uhud and Khandaq, and the others, those very same Mushrikun, they testified to all these things. You want the evidence, the Shaykh says? Then read the statement of Allah. فَقْرَأْ قَوْلَهُ تَعَالَى قُلْ مَنْ يَرْزُقُكُمْ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ أَمَّنْ يَمْلِكُ السَّمْعَ وَالْأَبْصَارِ وَمَنْ يُخْرِجُ الْحَيَّ مِنَ الْمَيِّتِ وَيُخْرِجُ الْمَيِّتَ مِنَ الْحَيِّ وَمَنْ يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرِ Say to them, Who provides for you from the skies and from the earth? And who is it that controls the hearing and the sight? And who is it that brings out life? The alive from the dead, and the dead from the living. And who is it that disposes of all of the affairs? فَسَيَقُولُونَ Then they will say, Allah. Ayah in the Qur'an. فَقُلْ أَفَلَا تَتَّقُونَ Then say, say to them, do you not fear Allah then? Meaning you believe only Allah does all of those things? And yet you continue to go and call upon others besides Allah. Do you not fear Allah then? And this is the point we've mentioned many a time before. To understand these points, you have to understand the relationship between Al-Rububiyyah and Al-Uluhiyyah. Al-Rububiyyah is singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the actions that are specific to him. Ifradullahi bi af'alihi in a nutshell. Singling out Allah with the actions that are specific to him. That he creates, nobody else. He gives life and death, nobody else. He controls the universe, nobody else. All of those actions are specific to Allah. Nobody else does them. Ar-Rububiyyah. Then we have Al-Uluhiyyah, which is that you will then single out all of your worship to Allah alone. What is the connection between Al-Rububiyyah to Al-Uluhiyyah? The one word answer. Al-Rububiyyah tastelzimu Al-Uluhiyyah. Al-Rububiyyah necessitates Al-Uluhiyyah. Because if a person believes that Allah alone is the creator, Allah alone is the provider, Allah alone is the sustainer, Allah alone is the one who gives life and death, 
Allah alone is the one who disposes of all of the affairs, then certainly Allah alone is the one he should be worshipping. How can it be that a person says Allah alone is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, Allah alone is the one who gives life and death, Allah alone is the one who controls the universe, but then he's going to go and worship someone else, something else that he himself accepts, does not control the universe, does not give life and death, does not sustain him and provide him, does not dispose of the affairs, then does that make sense? Of course it does not. And that is the evidence that Allah established upon the mushrikun in the Quran, that you mushrikun accept and acknowledge the rububiyyah, then that necessitates from you that you should be upon al-uluhiyyah. How can you acknowledge al-rububiyyah and still after that go and worship others besides Allah who you know do not create and provide and sustain and give life and death? That is then an evidence established upon them. And that's why the scholars they have mentioned that in the Quran, there is a lot of mention regarding the rububiyyah of Allah. A person may say, well, why? Why are there so many ayat in the Quran where rububiyyah is mentioned? If the kuffar, the mushrikun already accepted that, why not talk about something where they had the problem? Because even though they accepted the rububiyyah, Allah mentioned it in the Quran often, because all of those points of rububiyyah are a proof being established against the mushrikun. You believe in the rububiyyah, you believe Allah created the heavens and the earth, you believe that Allah provides you with this and that, you believe Allah gave life and death in all of the different parts of the Quran. You believe in all of these things, you acknowledge all of these things, and yet you are still committing shirk. All of that becomes an evidence established upon them. So this ayah highlights as an example, another ayah, um, وَقَوْلَهُ تَعَالَىٰ قُلْ لِمَنِ الْأَرْضُ وَمَنْ فِيهَا إِن كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ Say to them, to whom belongs this earth, and who is within it, إِن كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ If indeed you know, سَيَقُولُونَ they, the mushrikun, will say to you, it belongs to Allah. All of this belongs to Allah under the control of Allah. Sayaquluna lillah. Qul afala tadakkaroon. They say to them, do you not stop to think? Qul man rabbul samawati sab' wa rabbul arsh al-azim. Say to them, who is the Lord of the seven heavens? And the Lord of the Great Throne, سَيَقُولُونَ لِلَّهِ They will say, certainly it is for Allah. قُلْ أَفَلَا تَتَّقُونَ Then say, will you not fear? And then the ayat continue with more examples. قُلْ مَنْ بِيَدِهِ مَلَكُوتُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ وَهُوَ يُجِيرُ وَلَا يُجَارُ عَلَيْهِ إِن كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ سَيَقُولُونَ لِلَّهِ قُلْ فَأَنَّا تُسْحَرُونَ وَغَيْرَ ذَلِكَ مِنَ الْآيَاتِ so there are multiple examples in the Qur'an where the kuffar, the mushrikun, 
they accepted and they acknowledged the rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and yet they were still declared as mushrikun still outside of the fold of Islam because even though they accepted a rububiyyah they were not upon al-uluhiyyah that basis is very important to understand because one of the doubts that will come later on is that the people they say look I pray five times a day I've done Hajj three times I go to Umrah every other year and you're calling me a mushrik I do all of this worship I believe Allah is the creator the provider the sustainer how can you call these people mushrikun in order to understand that we have to understand these principles of Tawheed if a person doesn't accept the basis of Tawheed then even if he prays five times a day it will be invalid even if he does the the fasting every year invalid even if he gives the zakat he goes and does the hajj if he does not accept the basis of the shahada the tawheed of singling out allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with all of your worship not just saying i believe allah is the creator provider then that individual is upon a great error so here the sheikh highlights in this introduction this is all laying down the foundations to be able to explain the doubts of the mushrikun that are going to come up in an easier understandable way this is all laying the foundation to understand the basics of tawheed and to then understand their doubts and how to refute their doubts so that is where we'll stop on today with that section and we'll continue with the next section next time there's only five minutes or so left up until Maghrib. And we'll just uh, use that time with some questions. Some questions here about Nuh alayhi salam regarding the place that he was sent to and where did the ship end up after the floods and how many people were saved these details Allah alam I'm not aware of the specifics of these details of the locations and there are some statements that are widespread about the landing location of the uh, ship of Nuh alayhi salam but I don't know about the authenticity of them so Allah alam I don't know of the details of these types of issues anybody else anything else Um, can you summarize, um, inshallah, as long as we stick to the lessons, how, um, obviously a brief overview, how will it benefit us in our, in our lives? Mm -hmm. So these lessons, how will they benefit a person in his life? These lessons, these kinds of books, will provide the ultimate benefit to a person in his life. These books and these topics that are being studied in these books, 
are the basics of understanding Tawheed. A believer to be upon the correct worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be upon the correct aqeedah, to not fall into any forms of shirk, then this is the type of material a person needs to understand. That's why the scholars always mention these kinds of books as the basic books for all students to learn. The four principles, Kashf al-Shubuhat, Kitab al-Tawheed, the three principles, because these kinds of books lay down the basics of understanding Tawheed. And that is the purpose of your existence. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That Allah didn't create the jinn and the humans except for us to worship Him. As the Salaf mentioned, the meaning of it is إِلَّا لِيُوَحِّدُونَ To worship Allah upon Tawheed. How are we going to worship Allah upon Tawheed and fulfill the objective of our creation by understanding all of this? So all of these details and these books and these materials they give us the absolute foundations of understanding Tawheed. Anybody else? Now is the opportunity because afterwards crowding outside is not a good idea. You know before Muhammad bin Luhayk brought the idols to... Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حيا على الصلاة حيا على الصلاة حيا على الفلاح حيا على الفلاح الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله No, even at that time, generally, shirk was already spread amongst the Quraysh, amongst the people. But he is uh, uh, mentioned as one of the, 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 the heads of the ones who brought that shirk and the idols to the area. But generally, it was already in existence, generally. Anybody else? In that case, we'll conclude upon that for today then.